recording. Charles, hi. I hi. think we've I think we've started. I think we're in. We're in the room. We're in. Great. Good to see How you. Are you. Yeah, you too. You too. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, not at all. Well, we've we've been chatting for um, I don't know a few months, haven't we? About stuff. Maybe it's longer than that. I, I lose track of I lose track of time. So this this was due. Yeah. Well, we we met down in Brighton. I can't. Remember. I think I was probably following you on on Instagram first. So I've kind of become obsessed with. I say people like you. There are not many people like with that. Your kind of level of. Uh, expertise in in the, with the work you do so I think I was stalking you a bit on social media and then we got in touch and then we met down in Brighton didn't we um yeah, yeah it's uh and I'm excited to be on today so thank you yeah yeah well look I wanted to explore a few things with you um and I know that you're you're doing some you know some really important work um, and we'll come to that, but I think it'd be useful to kind of go back as ever to, to get the context, to get this, the story um, of, of why you're doing what you're doing. Um, but for listeners, I guess it'd be useful for them to know something about where we're going with it. Otherwise, they're going to be like, well, who, what, what's that all about? Yeah. Um, so maybe you could you could just start by by just a very brief description of, of what it is you're doing at the moment and, th and then we'll go back so the, the business I'm working on is called Pained um, and it really started I thought let, I, I could build an app to try and put a little bit of my lived experience underpinned by an interpretation of, of the science of pain into an app to try and help people in the same way that I was able to help myself that was the idea on day one and day one was probably about 15 months ago now it's since morphed into a bit more than that um in that now i think of it as we're trying to develop a, a new new way of treating uh complex pain developing a model of pain care um and the team is now you know we've got our chief medical officer uh rebecca berman who's been a pain consultant for 25 years or so um and and rebecca's involvement really gave it much more of a a medical slant you know before it was just me saying oh this is wonderful i've stumbled across all of this cool stuff now it's we're, we're hoping to develop this model of care where we can you know we really would like to work with the nhs and just to and you know just to develop this model with them to hopefully um you know add our uh, what we think is potentially a hopeful way to deal with complex pain going forward and then if you want to fast forward you know what I would like to see in 10 or 15 years from the work we're doing um that there'd almost be no need for what we're doing with pain because hopefully what we do and and this is why I think people the work you do is incredible because the more people that um are able to do different kinds of work but this with all the same the same intention we really need to see a huge um shift in how we understand pain as a society so I really hope in 10 to 15 years a lot of that groundwork has been done so a lot of people that might you know end up developing complex pain because of the way it's misunderstood or has been misunderstood and mistreated hopefully a lot of that um can be taken out of the equation with the work that um we and others are doing i don't know if that answered your question or not mm. if wow. i start rambling just just tell me richmond it's a, it's a common it's a common common thing that happens with me 
Rambling is good. Rambling is good. Um, I mean, wow, because I mean, it is it's an enormous mission. Um, and, um, and and I know that because obviously there's a lot of parallels in, in what, what we're doing. Um, and I guess it, it leads to the question, why? Why does it matter to you? So it matters to me because of my own experiences, my my lived experience on, of pain, and perhaps a good time to go into my background on that front. Um, in 2013, I sorry, the end of 2012, I started having um, this is my my view of it then. It's a pain in my right leg, and um, I went to seek um, some help. I went to my GP. Um, I went to see a physio and I ended up in a, a, a neurosurgeon's office and I had surgery at the beginning of 2013 on what was deemed to be a, uh, a herniated disc that was the reason for my pain, you know, MRI and pointed to this bulge and out you're in pain. So that's what the problem is. I had a, a, a microdiscectomy at L5S1. I left hospital about 24 hours later slightly less. Um, I went home, fell asleep, and I woke up with a drop foot and severe pain in my right leg. Um, from my kneecap down to my uh, big toe was sunburned red. Um, you know, I had no motor function in, in my foot whatsoever. And, th and this was very different to what you'd gone into surgery yeah. with and for. Jeez. You know, now looking back, the, the pain I went into surgery and the pain I went in for was, was nothing compared to what was to come. And so I, I went back in, um, they reoperated, and but this was really the start of my chronic pain journey. Um, that's sort of from 2013 to 2019, I had a f another six spinal surgeries. Um, and those were, that, those were just kind of the incidentals almost. It was the stuff that was happening in between that was really problematic. Um, 2000, by 2015, my quality of life was almost nil. I was incredibly unhappy. Um, by 2018, I was really very close to not wanting to continue living. Um, and so you ask, why is this important to me? Towards the end of 2019, I didn't know what had to change in my life, but I knew things weren't sustainable. But I was really confused because I had been engaging with all of the things that I thought were meant to be helping, you know, sort of interventional medicine, um, painkillers, manipulations, operations, all the, and none of them were, were working. And, the, and these yeah. are things that people were telling you to do, advising you, guiding you. So you were, you were following what you were yeah. told. Yeah, correct. And then I, I didn't know what had to change, but I remember, the, I think probably the first thing I, I did was I decided to stop taking as much medication um, I decided to start trying to move my body more. And again, I didn't know why. Um, and then I, and I decided to learn about pain or tr try and learn about pain. And, um, and I noticed improvements in my pain, you know, I wouldn't say day by day, but after about six weeks, I was, uh, you know, seeing improvement six months on, I was, you know, almost back to the point where I was getting happy with my life again. And so by the beginning of 2020, I thought, you know, you've made a good progress here. You know, you're, you're thinking about, you know, 
um, getting back into work, you're building relationships, you, you know, you're, you're a happy human again. And I was just fascinated as to whether I was incredibly lucky, unique in some way, or whether there was more to it. And obviously, as I'm sure you're not surprised to hear, um, I wasn't, there's nothing unique about it, um, maybe lucky, but that again was not the overriding thing. The, the thing that I realized is that all the things I hadn't been doing, I believe they were written down and you know, it's this new understanding of science of pain, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't reaching people like me or you know, the other millions of people living with chronic pain. So that was why I decided to start working on the work I'm doing and why it's so important to me because, you know, like I said, I was really close to giving up with life. And, you know, now I'm married, I'm expecting my first child, uh, working on a project, you know, that's incredibly meaningful to me and, and life is good. And I just would like that to hopefully similar experiences to go to other people that are in a similar state of suffering as where I was. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a story. Um, and, and of course, it's not not the end of the story. I mean, it's almost well this is a sort of a new chapter in some ways isn't it this this bit where you're now wanting to to share um to share your experiences and and to create something to to reach that all of those people i mean so many i mean millions in in the uk and and across and across the world going back to you know when things first began what, what was the timeline from when you uh, when you first started to feel some pain to when you ended up having that first surgery, how, how quickly did that happen? Seven months. Seven months. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and it was, again, you know, what I now see to be quite a common experience was that, you know, that uh, I reported that I was in pain, you know, very quickly was sent for an MRI and the pain was attributed to this bulging disc. And when, um, physio didn't work the next thing was um speak to a surgeon and so yeah within seven months i was having an operation and and that i mean these these words and phrases are often used aren't they you know oh something didn't didn't work and or physio didn't work that that's a classic um but of course physio is just just a word and it certainly doesn't capture necessarily all the different things that different people are are exposed to with within that or under that that huge sort of umbrella. I mean, what what were your experiences of, of physio? What what kinds of things were you doing and were they doing with you in the early stages? Do you do you remember? I think it was all um, kind of what was called core stability exercises, maybe some pelvic floor exercises um but the you know i i've come met some wonderful physios over the years doing incredible work um my view of that period was that the issue wasn't not issued maybe a wrong word was that um going to a physio for half an hour maybe once a week and then doing nothing else for the other screw myself here how, how many hours 168 hours in a week so <laughs> four whatever it might be I don't know exactly a lot of hours <laughs> yeah um you know and it was this kind of idea that that half an hour session um I'm not even speaking about my own situation here but that that 
that will do everything for me. And then the rest of the time, I don't really need to think about it. Um, so it, the physio wasn't helpful for me at that time, but also I think my approach wasn't helpful because I had the wrong view of, of health and healthcare really. I had a kind of consumeristic um, view of it where it was kind of, you, go, you know, wait for something to break, go and see the man in the white coats, he'll fix me. Then I can go off and be stupid again till the next time I break. <laughs> now, I've, now I live my life totally differently. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a classic way of, of thinking about it, really, isn't it? That um, something's wrong and then we go and see someone and they'll fix us somehow and surgery is kind of probably right up there isn't it as the classic fix um you say now that your view on that's changed so what what's different now in your view of of how things are working and perhaps how they should work so uh, my view because i'm very new to this um space as i said the, the timeline you know i probably considered myself to be approaching a healthy uh, state mid-2020 and I still live with pain I, I you know I still live with a significant well everyone lives with pain but I mean I still live with the pain from you know from the surgeries and neuropathic pain um and so I'm con I, I I try and evolve every day and improve how I live my life every day but to answer your question um I do things now that I believe keep my body as close to um a, a kind of a, a, a non-inflammatory state as possible. Um, I try and think of, you know, to keep myself in a kind of nourishing, happy, fulfilled, um, I don't know if safe is the right word, because it's good to not always be in a comfort zone, really good actually. Um, but yeah, I just try and think, always keep, you know, this state of healing in mind. And, and to me, that's a 24 seven thing, not, um, do whatever you want for 23 hours and then you can go always go and see a doctor for the other hour um, that's that that to me is not healing you've really taken ownership over uh, the things that you can and, and really focusing on the things you can as an individual can control yeah and I, and I, th I learned that the hard way because um, I, I for six years I didn't for six years that was I that was and that's a long time you know I, I I think um, when we met in Brighton, you met Lucy as well. And Lu Lucy um, has lived with chronic pain. Lucy's someone that we work with that pained. And Lucy um, learned, well, the, the progress I made in six years, Lucy kind of got in 10 months, which just amazed me. You know, I floundered for six years and it's not really relevant what, you know, whether it's because I was getting some maybe questionable advice or whether I was, wasn't quick enough or good enough, whatever it was, it took me a long time to realize. And I exhausted all other possibilities. So it wasn't just, you know, I took ownership overnight. It, that just wasn't realistic. I, I failed at every other, what I thought was every other avenue. And it was almost like it was a last chance saloon. Um, and it just so happened that taking ownership started reducing my pain that feeling of empowerment and control and security over my own outcomes um, was what i believe to be directly responsible for uh, reductions in my experience of pain so hearing lucy's story then gave you this 
other perspective that, that actually improvements and significant improvements to quality of life can actually happen quite quickly if you do and think certain things. Yes. Yeah, and and, and really, and, and that's, I, I'm hopeful in the work that we're doing that people shouldn't need to be at that last chance saloon to, you know, like I did stumble across a book about um, you know, science of pain, or or, or to find um, one of the few good, like good clinicians that are talking, or, or, or maybe that sounds a bit uh, inflammatory itself. I, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, I, I, it took me a long time to find good clinicians. Um, that I don't think that should be the case. Uh, Lucy, um, I think it was an, an osteopath that straight away started talking to her about a, a biopsychosocial approach, which really helped her. You know, I, I spent six years bio 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 and, and it wasn't just unhelpful it was actually really harmful um so I, yes i think that the more people talk about it and the more the more that the message is out there i hope that you know that the 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 short that timeline is for the person who's suffering to um find pain informed care is the right term but so yeah just to get a good quality of care yeah People um, seem quite quite often to to be tethered to the past and what's and what's happened, um, and and obviously with purpose we've gone into some of the. I mean, you know, we could never do justice to all of those experiences you had over those years in a in a conversation like this. Um, and you you talk about them, and and sometimes it sounds like you're being really quite hard on yourself about this. You use the word failure, the failure to do certain things and and getting things wrong. Do do you feel that you've let go of a lot of that stuff, or do you still feel tethered to it, or is that work in progress? I think it's a work in progress. There's there's you know there are a lot of scars, you know, physical and metaphorical. Um, from that period and the 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 best way I wouldn't say I've let go of them because there's they're a part of me um, and you know your past is always informing your future I guess I don't know <laughs> um, but there are things that happen in that period that won't go away you know you know problems with family and you know you know, legacy issues from multiple operations, and I became heavily dependent on opioid medication, and that was traumatic in itself. And and so, none of that's gone, but I always use my interpretation of pain science to keep it at a kind of uh, at a safe distance, because I'm aware that if I dwell on things or let things you know impact me in a negative way then that's just gonna be a, a, a nice way for pain to potentially or or, or that element of, of my chronic pain to come back and and kind of rear its head you know at the, at the time I had no idea that you know arguing your family could be making you know pain in your leg worse I had no idea at the time now I'm aware that all of these things so so and it, and it's, it goes back to that idea of trying to stay in a, a peaceful healing state um and just yeah try not to lug around much baggage that that seems to be one of the 
the big challenges because it's not it's they're not familiar skills to us in our society and culture to be able to to recognize thoughts as thoughts we were talking about this just before we we started i think you know to be able to recognize thoughts as thoughts not as actually what's happening in this this moment necessarily um and and really getting caught up in those but then being able to relate to them in such a way that we don't suffer so much or we are able to ease our own suffering but it seems like that's what you've you've been able to do and that's what you are doing so it's not that the thoughts don't come but you can relate to them in a in a more skillful way has that happened i don't mean by accident really but i suppose in contrast to someone teaching you to do that directly well the the, the most the, the, the best bit about it is that you know, my life was ruled by my kind of the, the, the level of pain I was in and my responses to that pain. And that, you know, it was almost like this great gift when I realized that I can actually reduce the pain by um, being more in control of my thoughts. So when I was really suffering, you know, I, um, I remember I spoke to a, a psychologist once and, you know, the ideas that my psychology could be impacting my pain just seemed completely ludicrous to me because it was this, I was in this biomedical little glass house and it was just like, you know, give me a, another operation or a, a nerve block or some medication. That was all I knew when the ideas that my thoughts and feelings and, you know, feelings of fear could be increasing pain. I just thought it was absolutely ludicrous. And then fast forward, and I'm lying at home. I've been very, let's just paint the picture. I'm literally lying on my ass for six years, you know, popping pills and having surgeries and, you know, life gradually falling apart. That was that. And then suddenly I start to take ownership, start to feel a bit empowered and feel a bit good about myself. And the pain starts reducing. And so it was like, I saw this and it was like, oh my gosh, how far can this go? How far can it go? And so it wasn't, it wasn't, it was really hard in one way. It was really hard, but it wasn't like I was doing something that was really kind of against, like against my will. It was actually, I could see that, that this actually was a way to reduce my pain. So it was, it was almost like a, uh, I don't know what the term is, but it was, yeah, it was kind of easy to get on board with once I realized it. Um, and I think a lot of people out there living with chronic pain just don't have, have not been given the right information to make these decisions. They're responding to pain in the way that they think they should. That you know, you know, you know, stop moving. Okay, well, if you stop moving, if, if chronic pain is long term, and your response to pain is to stop moving, that becomes social isolation, which is not going to be helping pain. So it's just you know the right information to respond to pain. In the right way i just think it'd be a huge start for people uh, help for people yeah no absolutely that that understanding um but a number of people will still you know respond to the ideas that that pain is beyond something that's just physical or or where you feel it or to do with the tissues or structures or or whatever you know that you, you've had that experience you've had that struggle do you remember why you found it so difficult to believe that there could be another explanation? I think I found it difficult to believe because 
of how my um, journey started with the foot drop um, and the, the, the damage I had to my, my spinal cord. Um, and so in my mind, it was almost like, okay, there is a very identifiable problem here. So let's just go and fix that problem. Let's, you know, and so the ideas of emotions and thoughts and beliefs and expectations and memory and all these kind of things just didn't, it wasn't, it didn't make any sense to me. It did not make any sense to me. This All, all that made sense was fix my bloody spine. That's all, all and but you know now that's just not that's just not how we are as humans um and 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 i feel lucky in a sense that my journey you know it's a, the timeline really from is what i consider my period of chronic pain even though i am in pain now i i don't consider myself to still have chronic pain but that's like a, a little personal definition that i you know but that's an, another thing um from 2013 to 2020 that period from 2013 to 2015 I all of the pain I was feeling I always kind of attributed to this um the, sur the, the surgery that went wrong and this kind of nerve issue but by 2016 the pain was totally different it was if it was you know 99.9 percent .9 kind of um correct me if my terms are any I'm right Richard but like Richmond um were like nociceptive um at the beginning or, or no C plastic pain at the beginning. By 2016, it was all, well, majority was neuroplastic. Um, it was everything else that was, you know, really ramping up the pain, you know, issues with family and, and not being able to work anymore and just depression and, you know, misery. That was all it was. Um, then jump forward another few years, 2019, it was back to a place where the, more or less all the pain I was having was back to being because of these damaged nerves. So I was quite fortunate that I went on that journey to see that whole spectrum of actually, okay, I, the, the nerves seem to be damaged. That's just how things seem to be for me. And I was able to see how much pain are you in with, with kind of just that, so it's more complicated, but then, and then how much more pain are you in with all this other stuff going on? And so it was, yeah, again, kind of easy for me to see, well, if you remove all of that stuff, you're in a lot less pain. Um, so I, yeah, I, I feel quite fortunate that I had that journey. Yeah, it, it speaks of um, different mechanisms at play. And obviously there's been a lot of work done on, on that, you know, nociceptive pain, neuropathic pain, um, etc and and the possibilities of blends of those as well you know not just having one um i guess they can sound quite discreet um as as opposed to looking at the 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 bigger the whole person which i know that you're you're keen on as well um so there's you know there's pluses and minuses of those but i suppose in some ways it gives people right okay well if if these kinds of mechanisms are thought to be at play well then these are the types of things that i can do mm. but there still needs to be an understanding of the role of beliefs and expectations prior experiences anticipations predictions all of these things to be able to understand that it's not just a bit of it that you're going to deal with actually you're going to deal with with the mm. whole and and you kind of skirted over the you know, i'm sort of just left with the neuropathic pain look oh, neuropathic pain is horrible yes yeah, um 
but but you also sort of skirted over the this kind of reframe or re-identification of yourself. No, I'm not someone with chronic pain now. Can you talk so, more about how you did that and what you've done? Well, so now, and, and this is probably not very helpful to talk about from my side because it goes against the IASP definition and everyone's definition. But I now like to think of chronic pain as not pain that persists for more than three months, but that state of um, kind of confusion and desperation, the, the vicious cycle really, fear and all of these things that just uh, that, that, that act to make pain worse. Um, that's how I think of chronic pain. Um, so now I have pain, I'm in pain now. Um, I don't like to think of it as chronic pain. It's just that my body's, you know, for whatever reason, um, I'm feeling pain. I don't, I just don't find it helpful to think of it as chronic pain. It gives the idea that it, it, it's kind of forever chronic has, it's like almost like a pejorative term in, 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 in some regards. So I just have pain and all humans have pain at some point in their life. It just seems to me that at the moment I have more than others, but I also probably have less than some people. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I hope, and I know a lot of people have spoken about this, you're trying to use the term persistent or complex. Again, it's just terminologies. It's just pain at the end of the day um, and how best to respond to it. Yeah, I, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. I mean, the, the most important thing is, is that you have put it into a perspective and, and you use a language and a narrative to yourself that, that works for you. It, it, it pushes you into being resourceful rather than perhaps feeling helpless. Mm. Yeah, and again, that's my understanding of, and the limited understanding of the, the science of pain, being feeling helpless is only going to be problematic and give give not not cause more pain but increase the possibility of feeling more pain you know if, if you look at the, the journey I had for six years or so I was you know kind of in this revolving door of like seeking out help from others and every time that that help or that the, the intended help wasn't helpful it was just more kind of danger and it was more inflammatory and it increased my feelings of helplessness um so yeah the more people can do um to sorry i don't talk about people the more i did to take ownership um, and feel empowered and feel um, some self-esteem and feel some purpose the the my the more my pain reduced so uh, and i believe that that's not just about me. <laughs> you you believe that other people can do similar things? Yes, I, I believe that a lot of people, and these are people that we, we work with and I've spoken to, and I'm sure you speak to people living with chronic pain all the time. And, and because of how things are set up, um, both in the healthcare system, but also in society as a whole, it's really, really common to, um, well, pain has been misunderstood. And so it's really common to, to respond to pain in ways that are not helpful. But the experience I've had is that a lot of people don't realize that these are unhelpful responses. They think they're responding in the right way and the pain's getting worse. Um, 
and, and often those are ways that make them feel less empowered and less secure and less strong. Um, and so I, I hope with increased awareness of what pain is and what pain isn't, those responses will start to change and people that are suffering will be able to reduce that suffering. There's going to be some people who are very open already. They're, you know, they're, they're kind of, um, they're, they're all ears. They, they hear even this, this you know, conversation or, or they read something and, and immediately put something into place. And, and, and part of that can be a belief. Right, actually, I, I can do this. I can make a difference. Look, listen to, to Charles and maybe some other people like Narita and others um, who, who have, you know, made some really positive changes. And when I say positive, I'm, I don't mean just thinking positively, thinking everything's great. I mean, actually thinking about what you want to achieve and taking steps each day to to do that but then there's going to be other people who who were in your position you know not that long ago saying no i've definitely got a a b or c that's what that's what needs dealing with and most people are really really stuck it's and it, it it's a it's a huge both what we're trying to do as a as a as a business for pain, it's a huge challenge. But more than that, it's really upsetting to see that because I don't believe that it should be that way. Um, even you know, the week before Christmas, a friend reached out to me and said, "Can you?" Um, there's someone I work with who's having some back issues. I'm like, I now seem to be like the kind of go-to in my kind of social <laughs> group for back problems. Um, can you can you speak to her? She's had one operation. She's thinking about another one. Um, and you know, uh, I I spoke to her and I I I, I listened and I, I tried to help. But the beliefs were really set in stone that the only thing that would help is a surgical intervention. And I was trying to think about why this might be. And and firstly, it may it may be the way forward. I'm, I'm not saying it's not the way forward. It might be helpful. Um, and I'm not saying that um, like our way is better. There's no better or worse here, but it was just that she couldn't think about there being another way. And I was thinking, why might that be? And I think it's a blend of this, um, of, of that kind of done for you healthcare model where um, we're almost, we don't take ownership of our health until you know we have to, and then someone, then someone else will fix it for us. And that's not to, that sounds a bit kind of gaslighty that you're saying, oh, it's people's fault. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, it's just the society we live in um, that, you know, that's, that seems to be the way, the way things have been treated in our healthcare model, um, biomedical model. Um, but, and this is kind of opens up a whole other conversation about, you know, kind of like vested interests and like who, and people protecting their interests because, you know, if we talk about the work Narita's doing, who was on your podcast, I think sort of at the back end of last year, um, Narita's talking about social aspects or building a community and social connection of way of healing and reducing pain. And, and that's part of what we aim to do with pain as well. You know, there's just not a huge amount of research out there around um, social connection for pain. And, and because it, it, let's be honest, it doesn't, it's not as kind of sexy to, you know, like big pharma. Um, if a lot of the approaches that you talk about, Richmond, 
um, are successful, which I fully believe they are and they will be for more and more people, there are people with um, like interests, whether it be in farm or whatever it might be, that potentially will lose um, business. And unfortunately, I think that's a part of the problem is that not enough people are talking about this because it it goes against a, a long-standing kind of patriarchy is the right word. But I'm getting all political now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I all sorts of all sorts of uh, problems there. Yeah, I mean, everyone has their their angle. Everyone has their their biases. Everyone has their fears. Um, you know, businesses fearing losing, you know, money making opportunities. You know, we've seen that at the, to the darkest level. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe governments fearing going into it too much because it's such an enormous problem, and they're aware there's going to be a great cost. Although, interestingly, if they did open up to that conversation, and I think the types of things we've been talking about, and maybe we'll talk about it in a little while, um, there are a lot of very low cost, and I think would be very likely to be effective ways of helping people. And, and interestingly, they're doing some of this kind of work with people experiencing depression in, in poorer countries. There's some really interesting models around that, which could be really useful for pain. Um, but but I just wanted to sort of come back to that you know the the role of the role of fear and what that what that does to people. If, do you have any insights there? Yeah, I I think I do. Whether they're any good or not, I'm not sure. But you know, the most basic level, thinking back to my own um, kind of relationship between pain and fear, is whenever I felt pain in my right leg or whenever I've ever felt pain until a few years ago when I've ever felt pain in my life my first thought was gosh your body's broken somehow like you know this is really bad um and so because you believe that pain is a measure of tissue damage and of course you're fearful because you don't want to damage your body anymore um and if pain was a measure of tissue damage or, or damage then fear might be the right kind of response because it makes sense but you don't want to damage things any further and be fearful of that um but obviously that's not what pain is um so i don't believe pain should be something to be fearful of it's unpleasant if you know if it's yeah i think i think it's unpleasant <laughs> um <laughs> but it's not something to be fearful of and we know being fearful of it is not going to increase the possibility of it reducing or resolving. We're talking about chronic pain now, not not all pain. Yeah, we, we need pain, um, but when it's chronic, um, fearing it, in my own experience, was just the the worst thing to do. It and, and it's a lot easier said than done, because you know if you go into like a kind of micro example, um, you know you're thinking you've got an, a, a social engagement in a couple of days time, but you're pretty sure you're going to have to cancel. What can you do to get through that? You know, you're going to have to take more medication or you're going to have to, you know, only stay for a bit, then you might have to let people down. And, and all of that's, you know, if looked at and framed in the wrong way is fear because then you're fearing, you know, well, what are my friends going to say about me when I leave? Uh, all of, and yeah, so it's, it is very complicated and you, but to be aware 
that fear is not helpful to me is the, the first step to unpicking all of that. Do you, do you think that fear plays a role in um, in people's decisions like to have surgery rather than to go, you know, when they're exposed to the ideas of emotions and beliefs and all the things that we've been talking about, which we know from experience and from research are involved, but that might be new material to someone. So do you think that fear might be behind holding that stuff off and go, no, 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 I need the surgery, or I need the injections? Yes, I think fear um, is fear of the unknown, I think, because a surgery sounds ridiculous to say this, actually, but again, I'm just thinking about my own thoughts, you know, years ago, surgery is a kind of known quantity, you don't know if it's good or bad, but you kind of know what you're getting in for that you're going to hospital, you know, 45 minutes on the operating table, whatever the surgery might be, maybe longer, maybe less. Um, then you'll be going home, you'll be given advice, you'll be given medications, and then you'll be back to your life. That's the idea. That's what you kind of make the decision based off. The, the other way that I embraced a couple of years ago was, okay, you need to commit to a new way of life almost for 12 months at a minimum. Goes against what you thought, everything you thought you knew about your health. And you have to dive into this kind of world of uncertainty and be okay with that. And that, I think that goes against a, a lot of how we choose to live, um, sometimes in comfort zones, but it is just so empowering. I think, you know, I think em embracing uncertainty is, it's just, it's incredible. It really is. I think that that is one of, in, in my view, one of the most important things that I've done is to be okay with the fact that I don't know how my pain will be tomorrow. All I can do is make decisions that I think will give me the best chance of a better outcome tomorrow and just be okay with whatever that is. Just life is uncertain and we can't always have certainty, especially with something as complex as pain. Yeah, I mean, that's a big move, isn't it? Going from wanting certainty to accepting that the life by the very nature of itself is is uncertain um and the, the pain to you know if there's pain tomorrow well that's that's a thought because tomorrow never exists the only moment you actually have to relate to is this one am i in pain now or not mm. is there anything i need to do with that now or, or yes no yeah and you're so right because you, you, tomorrow never exists and thinking about it goes back to what we were just saying about fear it you know if i'm in pain tomorrow what does that mean will i miss that social engagement will i let someone down will i you know all of that stuff is just fear it's just negative thoughts and is it for me is not helpful to think about so you're right you know live you know all you can do is see how things are right now and and try and respond to things in the right way. Yeah, and, and also, as you said, you know, you're you're seeking to create the best conditions for what's to, to come. You know, how we are right now, both of us, is is the sum of literally everything that's happened, isn't it, really, to right up into to this point. But I think a lot of people spend a lot of time managing moments that don't exist, either the future or kind of thing oh I should have done this or I should have done that neither of which exist 
And if you're entangled with that, I mean, you can't help those thoughts, of course, but if you're entangled with it now, then you're going to suffer now. And is that going to have an impact on your pain, as you were saying? Yes, to varying degrees. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if I'm just wildly optimistic, but, you know, bear in mind, most of the kind of, the kind of space I work in is, is the lived experience. So most people come into the party with without a clinical background. Um, and the reason I'm optimistic about the, the future is because often people that are really suffering just are not aware that anchoring themselves to negative thoughts in the past or being fearful of the future can have a negative impact on their pain today on, on what maybe will come tomorrow. And that's not to say, okay, as soon as they pick up a book that we can just forget about the past and not worry about the future with humans. That's not how things are. I worry about the future. It's just, it's natural. But at least knowing that those worries and thoughts can have a direct impact on my levels of pain is just so liberating and so powerful. It's, it really is. And, I, and, and that's why I'm optimistic because a lot of people are you know they've got like one or two hands tied behind their back because of the the way pain has been misunderstood and you know that's that's the first thing i'd like to to for us to improve as a society yeah the um the, the you know these days we we get stuff quickly as in you know we can get deliveries very quickly we can buy stuff online all the rest of it so the, the, there's a kind of now 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 very quick fixes and and that seems to be still quite rife in in this arena that we're talking about people wanting quick fixes or you know they're given some practices some tools to use and a week later they say well that hasn't done anything it hasn't worked so kind of seeing the practices as the end result rather than no this is a step to take mm -hmm. um you know really valuing and again our education system puts massive emphasis on on results so we're all totally obsessed with outcome well i'll do that thing what's the outcome what will i get from it if i do that thing you know again it's this certainty or even reassurance reassurance is really about giving someone some certainty when there actually isn't any um what, what do you think about the the kind of the quick fixes and the ideas that we're, well i can if i do that that will that will quickly fix it versus the kind of the process of change which is the reality you know so I sought out quick fixes for about six years. Um, I keep talking about that, that six year period, but you know, that's all I was doing. I was sort of seeking out quick fixes, um, kind of momentary moments of um, pain relief, if you want to call it that, but they never, they never stayed around because I hadn't um, changed myself. Um, I think quick fixes, if we separate, or kind of chronic pain and the rest, if that's, I don't know, if we could just say, okay, I think a lot of, like my friend, my social circle, my friends, none of whom, well, now I have some friends that live with chronic pain because of the work I've been doing, but before that, none of my friends lived with chronic pain. Um, they often seek out quick fixes, not all the time, but like that, they like that kind of instant gratification and they seem to be very kind of happy with their lot, you know, and, and I think a lot of people live in that way um i don't but i don't think you can with 
chronic pain because it's it's in the name right it's there all the time or most of the time and so that quick fix mentality is is just really not helpful but i want to be really clear that i'm not like saying to people you should like i'm not blaming people for having that mentality it, society has given us that mentality because it's everywhere but I really don't think it's helpful or, or realistic. Not, not, not helpful. It's just not realistic with living with long-term pain, because you know, like, it, like I said, the clues in the name. You, it's, it's what you have to view it as a full-time job, really, at the beginning of any healing process, and so that is not compatible with quick fix. Yeah. So it sounds like that. You know, there can be a place. So I, I just need to feel a bit better right now. So I'm going to do that thing whatever it is that makes me feel a bit better and i know that there's a good chance not definite because no certainties mm-hmm. but that'll make me feel a bit better and that and that's a step but then overall i've got this these day-to-day practices like cleaning my teeth um that, that have become my pillars my pillars of wellness or skills of being well whatever you know whatever you want to call them um which which is that process with no absolute end result in mind just knowing that if i follow that path and keep practicing then i'm going to feel better at some at some point yeah and and it's interesting actually as you were just saying that i was thinking about the beginning of my healing journey and the term quick fix i was probably having about six or seven baths a day because i found it quite soothing and I didn't know why I would get into the bath and I'd put my headphones in and I'd start singing. I've got terrible voice. Um, (laughs) And I just start kind of screaming these like love ballads that they're like these kind of empowering songs at the top of my lung, you know, um, in, in sometimes a hot bath, sometimes an ice bath. And I guess those were kind of quick fixes because they were really helpful to me in the moment. I have no idea why now I think I have a better understanding. Sing, singing can you know release all you know all, you know, all the things um and so i guess i was those were kind of helpful quick fixes in the moment but you have to understand why why you're getting a relief from them and then start to build a life around that understanding so it's not like the bath and the the music therapy was my um solution it was okay why is it helpful and can i start to build a life around some of these kind of positive ideas and solutions so that is that does that make sense yeah it does i mean it's in a way there's there's a whole range of different things that people can use that but they wouldn't think of it in these ways you know things that bring you joy well i love a cup of coffee but that's not but having this cup of coffee now is not going to change my life but if I have a practice of drinking coffee, then I'm a coffee drinker and I'll do it, you know, four or five times a day, most days or whatever. And that brings me those moments of joy. And and if we've got a bunch of things that we know bring us joy and we can connect with those and do that, then essentially that can build our energy. It can build our, our resilience. They're not, you know, per se on their own, that individual thing changing like you lying in the bath and singing. Yeah. In that moment, the only moment you feel better when you're when you're singing an 80s power ballad um, or whatever it was. <laughs> um, and and actually, but going back to what we were saying before, that is the only moment. So if you feel better in the only moment, which is now, yeah. which is now, which is now. Great. That that in a, to an extent is you living your life. If, however, your purpose 
I'm singing this song because I want a definite outcome and you're focused on the outcome, that's when it's problematic because you're not going to get that outcome that you want, i.e. it's made everything better. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think it becomes problematic when um, we, and again, this is uh, my own experience, I some of the, the moments I, I was experiencing uh, were things that were making my pain, they felt great in the moment, but they were compounding to make things a lot worse later down the line, you know, pushing yourself to limits, um, you know, you know, eat, you know, eating, you know, inflammatory foods or, you know, drinking for the pain and was, you know, not moving enough, all of these kind of things, which in the moment were really, it kind of seemed logical and good. Um, I had no idea that they were just all, all kind of conspiring to make things worse. And, and again, I feel a lot of people, you know, will hear me say, oh, inflammatory food. Well, rubbish, how can inflammatory food be making my pain worse? Um, I'm, I'm a big believer that it can. Um, and, you know, immobility and, and all these kind of things that people living with pain think is the natural response to, to their pain is, yeah, it's, 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 it's really problematic. Mm. yeah and and that that you know bunch of things you're talking about there you know you, you're kind of hearing shades of kind of addiction in a way there aren't you sort of um you know in the short term it makes you feel good so it kind of ticks a box but actually in the long term other things are breaking down as a consequence because i'm not moving much because i'm eating you know a lot of processed food or or, or what you know whatever else um, but I guess there, there's also the caveat that, that there's, a, there's a large number of people who not only don't have access to the types of things we're talking about here, types of thinking that we're talking about here, which is very contemporary, but they, they also live in very challenging, perhaps toxic or even dangerous environments or, or don't have the, the resources to actually access um as much of the type of foods that we're talking about here i mean that that that's why you know there's a strong argument for pain being a social problem or certainly looking at it through that lens yeah and i mean if we get onto those kind of socioeconomics of it and i think for for your listeners um kind of uh understanding i would say i, I grew up in a, a pretty privileged um, environment i had access to um, private healthcare at times. Um, I never um, had to worry about food. Um, I had a, a stable family. I, I'd say I had a privileged upbringing, and and I still um, encountered a lot of these problems in uh, pain treatment. And when I speak to people um, from all sorts of different backgrounds, I'm aware of the kind of inequalities at play in in, in how people are able to access good pain care. Or if we're talking about nutrition. But I, I, I do, I, I can't help but feel that um, that at least everybody, the, the right information could be out there. Now, education is another thing, you know, it goes into that whole kind of socioeconomic thing where, you know, people from more privileged get, can get access to better edu education. And now technology is definitely, has definitely caused, its, caused problems, but it has given access to education in some places. And one of the things that I hope that we can do with Pained is 
get some of these what might seem to be complex ideas about how pain works, what pain is and what pain isn't, and start to get that education out there because a lot of people use TikTok, a lot of people use YouTube um, from all backgrounds. Um, and But the information is just not on these platforms. That's, that, that's one way I think we could start to get, um, whether it be about um, you know, nutrition for pain or, or, or sleep or, or just basic ideas of what pain is and what pain isn't. You know, I, I, when I show people from people that don't have any, you know, family members really, like they don't have really any kind of direct chronic pain, um, I'll show them a graphic about, you know, maybe that the story of the, the nail through the boots. That's like, and I see this like light go off in their mind. They're like, oh, because they've seen this cartoon of this guy screaming and then, and like, and it's just so powerful. And that's not, that's that wrong like there's always socioeconomics at play and the social aspects of pain but we know how many people are on tiktok and how many people are on youtube if we can start getting these kind of ideas into really accessible bite-sized bits of content i think that will be a huge win yeah yeah i mean is it just going back to what you're saying about about privilege and and similarly you know i would consider myself to come from a privileged background but neither of us chose that as much as no one born chooses what they're born into. Um, but what you're clearly doing is, is in a sense, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but it, what it feels like is that you, you're very much using that privilege now to help other people, which is a totally different thing. I hope so. I hope what we're doing will be of um, help. And I think my career to date that no doubt was um, was helped by the kind of privilege I grew up in has given me a view on how to create a, uh, uh, a venture in this space to help people. And I'm talking, you know, an example of what I'm talking about is, 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 the, is the, you know, like the funding for the work we're doing. There's, there's probably is a dearth of great clinicians, especially people like kind of with the level of expertise that you have and doing the work that you do um but i'm i'm far from the first person to try and talk about you know you know getting this help to a lot of people but for some reason it's not happening and i think part of that is funding you know people aren't you know there's, there's just not a huge amount of funding in these in these areas so uh, you know i'm trying to use my past kind of business uh, experience to get you know venture capital funding to you know to get the the level because it because this is you know we you need to run you know you know, randomized controlled trials, and this is going to be a long-term thing, and it and it and it is going to cost a lot of money. Um, so yeah, I think I would, you know, hope that the uh, yeah the experience I've had that was no, no doubt born out of some of that privilege can help you know, you know, build this platform because as you said back at the beginning of this conversation, it's a big undertaking. It's going to take a, a lot of time and a lot of money um, to get the evidence needed. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's a it's a big job. It's a big job, and but you're you know utterly dedicated to it, and that and that's what's needed. Yes, it, it needs funding, but it needs someone to to spearhead it and to deliver, you know, to deliver the messages and and to and also to face um, challenges that will come up from sectors that may not particularly want this sort of work. You know, being realistic. That that yeah. could could happen, and that will take strength um, to to do that. Um, something that we've um, we've chatted about a lot before, 
Um, and, and I know that some of this discussion is pending, so I might be putting you on the spot slightly now. But but we, we've been talking about the sort of the ideal um, practitioner or healthcare professional or indeed, um, how can I use, a sort of an amateur, an amateur mentor. We, we sort of what are your what are your thoughts there what what is the the kind of the ideal person to help someone suffering chronic pain i don't think there is an ideal person um i don't think there is an ideal person i think there's a spectrum um that that should be in place that's just not there at the moment so i think at one end of the spectrum is richmond stace um who has dedicated his career to uh, learning and helping and understanding pain um, but the reality and I, I, please, I hope to take this the wrong way but and rightly so you the, the the care you can deliver is almost like a it's kind of like a luxury good almost it's it, you know and rightly so because you've dedicated your whole career to this and it's and that's just how things are that's just how the world is um so one end you have someone like you who could be a huge help to people but i think there is space on along that spectrum for the lived experience person to help um now you think about the sponsor model in aa now that seems to help a lot of people some of the time i think there's definitely a role for that in the work we're doing i would have loved to have that i would love to have bumped into the 2022 version of me five years ago, it'd been really helpful. Or well, seven years ago, it saved me a lot of time. So I think we're going to try and develop um, that model within the work we're doing. But problem is, and if you go onto forums, chronic pain forums, you'll find this immediately. Having someone with lived experience is fine, but if they don't have a good understanding about what pain is, you know, kind of the, the science of it then it's going to be probably more problematic because you know it, it just I, I don't think it would work so one of the things we're looking at is how could you take someone like me and give them some good training so where they could actually will never have the level one saying you have because like i said you've dedicated your career to it but is there an in-between that's that's what we're looking at and and if you look at the training sort of junior doctors go or doctors get in medical when they go through medical school they're not coming out with a good understanding of complex pain um i think you can develop something where you could give people with lived experience or, or anybody that wanted to learn really uh, a, a better understanding of it than a lot of junior doctors have and that's got to be something worth exploring yeah i mean look we we could um we could come off this call and and I could um, talk to you about or, or give you a personalised webinar on on chronic pain and which wouldn't touch the you know would barely scratch the surface of course but if you had a two hour training session on it this afternoon I reckon that you would have two hours more than pretty much any junior doctor coming out of training. If we added a, another hour on trauma, and I don't mean orthopedic trauma, um, you would have three hours more training on those subjects than I reckon most. And this is worldwide. Mm. Gabor Maté talks a lot about this as well. That um, you know, there's just not the training there. 
Um, and, and this is this is there's there's three problems that I was linked to the solutions that we're developing at Paint, and I was anchor them back to the three problems I see, um, and they're all kind of linked. But maybe, I'd, but I, I one of the problems is that this kind of I don't upset the medical profession, but as we've just said, there's just not the education there for junior doctors. And so one of the problems is, um, you know, if a friend of mine wakes up tomorrow with chronic pain and they go and find a GP, their local GP, there's a pretty strong chance that that first point of contact, that first care they receive will be best case not helpful but potentially quite harmful and so that's got to be a massive problem that's I mean that's that is to me that's terrifying and we have to fear but that's terrifying that's and 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 how do we change that okay well we could start with the curriculum being changed for junior doctors or for, for in medical school what do they say there's 13 hours of on average 13 hours of pain education across six years of medical school but yet you know and, that, and that's all pain. That's not chronic pain. Um, that, that's really worrying, um, and and filters down. And th and those wrong ideas. Okay, so so when I'm not going to speak for doctors now. <laughs> Who am I to do that? But my uh, experience is that that lack of education in medical school uh, has um, created this uh, system that's this biomedical system. I.e., pain equals damage, and who do we trust more than most of us, more than our parents in the world, or, than, or after our parents, is doctors probably. And so, and that, and that then leads to this kind of societal stigma where someone tells you they, they've got they've got pain, but you can't find it on the scan, or their you know their legs not hanging off, and so you suddenly society starts to kind of look at this person in a in a way that is is not kind, and it just all creates this vicious cycle, and it. Unfortunately, I think it starts with the healthcare profession and, and how its pain is understood. Yeah, I mean, I just hasten to add, and I know that you'll agree with this, that it's, you know, we're not we're not blaming any individuals for this. This is this is a problem with the system. Yeah. Um, and and not just doc, you know, it's it's healthcare professionals. And you know, there's not there's not really many true chronic pain specialists that exist and it's partly as you said there's no ideal um and i remember when i did the pain masters um with with mick many years ago at, at king's college mick thacker we we did this exercise to try and come up with who would be the ideal you know what kinds of characteristics and uh, you know would be ideal for someone working with a person suffering with with chronic pain and and it was a really interesting exercise. I, 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 I don't know whether we still got the picture because we put it all up on the board. Mick might still have the picture. I have to try and dig it out. But that's essentially what we're, I know we're having conversations about here, maybe under the, the guise of pain coaching. Um, mm. um, but there, there is no chronic pain specialist. But can you imagine someone who is diagnosed with with cancer? going and seeing someone who has a special interest or has very little training in it. I mean, that just wouldn't happen. Mm. Same with diabetes or heart disease or, or asthma. So why on earth do we not have the same 
high standard for chronic pain is is the question that often echoes around my head when I'm hearing people's stories. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, and I think it speaks volumes and it's really, I don't know, is it, that, you know, the, the, the role of the pain coach, you're, and I'm talking about you right now, like there's like really kind of dedicated a career to it, you know, incredibly knowledgeable. There's not, if somebody's got chronic pain at the moment, they're more often than not to end up in front of a, a pain consultant um, than they are to find themselves in front of you as a first port of call. You know, who, who's the GP referring to? Um, and that can't be right. That, you know, in my mind, someone with your skill set should be that first line of defense, really. And so it's that whole, it's the, it's the whole system. Um, but now, but talking about the example you give about cancer, um, I'm not sure how I feel about that because um, we all we all live with pain, and pain is a very human thing. And when I actually started work on this, I kept asking myself the question: Is is chronic pain actually a medical thing? Is it a problem? Like, is, is it something for medicine to be? dealing with first and foremost or is it a human thing that we can all kind of just understand better and I still don't actually know the answer to that I, I, I really don't know um, because I, I'm biased by my journey but I had six years of abject suffering um, from engaging with uh, the healthcare system or not not all of it but the areas of it that I thought were meant to be helpful and then I kind of healed out in the world. You know, I healed by walking and feeling better about myself and having social connections and and just these kind of lifestyle improvements. So what is that? Like, what is that? That like my healing was not found in the medical, in the healthcare system. So that's why I feel that way. But I also believe that we need people like you to um, that have the knowledge um, to de decipher between like the the real and the crap, like because otherwise people can't people can't be left to kind of just find their own way. They need they need they need God when they're suffering, especially they need you know you know the kind of the level of care and, and knowledge and empowerment that someone like you can provide someone like me can never provide um that's why this term pain coaching i think did you did, were you, did you start pain coaching I, I don't know i mean i know that um it's a term i've been using for i don't know 15 years i know that when i mean i didn't necessarily talk about it then at the start i know that when i was thinking about it and you googled it not not a lot came up now a lot comes up i i don't know i'm sure other people have thought about it and come up with it without hearing about me um but but just to to your point there about you know there's there are there are kind of these different but overlapping aspects so perhaps people need to know that there's nothing sinister so the the medical profession can can do that um can can eliminate 
uh, or diagnose, you know, something if there's something that, that needs that for sure. And that's a really important step because knowing that you've gone through that means you can now get on with getting better. It's it's the getting better bit that medicine doesn't offer much for. I mean, people might say, well, what about interventions and surgery and those things? Yeah, but they're all brief. Oh, no, you take a pill. Uh, mm. You have an injection. You have, it's, they're brief. They're not the habits. They're not the skills and practices that you need to make your life better. It is a pra- living well is a practice. Yeah. But also they shouldn't, we talk about the, the you know, biopsychosocial um, model and it still is bio first, right? It's like, can we exclude, can we exclude, exclude any kind of structural issue? And then you can think about the psycho and then you can think about the social. I know some people have kind of tried to swap it around. So bio, social, psycho, bio, whatever it might be. Um, whatever it is, they should all be, it should be equitable. It shouldn't be like, let's, um, let's hunt for the problem first. It'd be, okay, what do we know about pain? Um, And this, it could be coming from any of these factors. So let's look at the whole thing first. Of course, you'd be ruling out, you know, real issues that could be dealt with with interventional medicine. Of course, it's, 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 it's just as important as looking at the the other aspects as well. Um, And I actually think the hunt, for the bio first is harmful um, because it, it just it, you're putting beliefs in people that that you know that, that shouldn't be there it just but it's, it's, it's just like go back to this it's like a huge undertaking we're talking about such significant change Richmond it's you know to walk into a GP surgery this just won't work because of the time that GPs have seven minutes for appointment to say okay I'm in agony all right, let's look at it. <laughs> let, let, let's look at your life. Tell me about yourself. It's just it's just much easier to say, okay, well, if you go for a scan, here's a painkiller. You know, it's just and that's just unfortunately how the system is at the moment. But it can change. It, yeah, it definitely can change. Um, and 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 I think you know there are signs. There are good signs that people's thinking. You know, it, it is changing because they're realizing that what's being served up is not delivering long term results. Mm-hmm. And the figures speak of, of that. Um, you know, you mentioned the GP, which is often the first place people go and there, there are time constraints. I mean, I've spoken to GPs about ways that you can you can practical ways you can work with that when you know someone's coming in with complex pain, ways of dealing with it. Um, and but there's also the demand from the person, isn't there? The, the fact that they're coming in with certain expectations of what's going to happen and they're going to leave with something, perhaps a prescription. And if they don't, then they're unhappy. They, you know, mm-hmm. if they were just quizzed about their lifestyle, uh, about some really important things to do with their pain, maybe to do with I say, a lack of movement or smoking or stress or lack of sleep, you know, whatever, all of those things but they come away with no prescription they think well they've done the gp's done a bad job because they didn't give me any painkillers or or something because that's what i wanted um so what people want to need yeah get muddled yeah do you not think that maybe the the person wants that because they think their their understanding of pain is that the painkiller is really helpful that it'll get rid of the pain so then there must be no problem anymore. And so it, it's, again, it's all rooted in in this false narrative of what pain is. Um, and this kind of like biomedicalization of, 
of not just love of suffering of human suffering and, and so Deepak Ravindran's one is sits on the the board of our company Deepak's a, a pain consultant at Royal Berkshire and Deepak's book The Pain-Free Mindset he puts forward that the misunderstanding around pain is why the NHS has a funding crisis this kind of this the, the, this uh, kind of pursuit of interventional medicine, whether well, 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 not just intervention, but you know, the idea of scanning, you know, imaging for pain or injecting for pain and operating with pain, manipulating Medicaid, all of these things in some cases are working, but this kind of blanket rush to all of them is one of the reasons why the NHS is so stretched at the moment. Um, and, you know, so you look at kind of the, the business case, if you're able to deliver a model of a pain care that looks at the Kind of sometimes the social elements, the psycho element, but also the bio. Is would you able to be to alleviate some of those pressures on the NHS? Um, which is that that you know that's kind of what's dictating a lot of the work we're doing at the moment. Um, but again, it's 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 a significant change that it's going to take a long time. It is, but it's the um, you know the the stakeholders need need to understand this really because you know whether it be the nhs or or private insurers you know are happy to pay for more scans or for surgery but 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 not really prepared to pay much for rehabilitation um you know it's it's the wrong way around mm. definitely it's you know and again sort of harp on about it goes back to this 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 misunderstanding of pain um, you know, and and and, and speaks to you know about is is pain a medical thing? Is it you know, or is it it's a is it a human thing? So, what I would love to happen in fifteen years time is you know somebody you know steps steps off the curb. Well, let's say no, I'm a bad example, but then if I don't use myself, I'm wishing pain on someone else. But <laughs> so someone steps off a curb, random, you know, um, rolls their ankle. Um, and what that injury might mean is that they'll miss their dance rehearsal a few days later. That might be responsible for them getting into drama school nine months down the line. Um, that person, all of this kind of fear and anxiety and, you know, just all kind of overwhelms the person. And, and, and that leads to what, my, what I consider to be this chronic pain where the pain persists and it's like, kind of interwoven with trauma around their life events. Now, if um, a more progressive understanding of pain is out there in 15 years time, at least that person when they've rolled their ankle is aware that all of those emotions could about to be at play to make their pain experience worse and potentially be really harmful to their future. So, okay, could that person look to treat the ankle in whatever the appropriate way might be? I don't know, it's not my business, but just, at least to have that under societal understanding that that letting those negative ideas in is really harmful and so like i said at the beginning maybe there'd be no need for um the kind of the the work that we're doing at pained in 15 to 20 years because some of that we'll, we'll just have a as a society we'll deal with it in a much better way and there are places around the world that you know don't haven't biomedicalized pain and and it's pain is treated how it used to be here you know with kind of you go and see your you know your priest or whoever it might be for your for your suffering now you go and see a doctor um 
there's a lot of healing that can be done in the community. And, and I hope that's the way some of this will go. Not all of it, because obviously, the, you know, biomedicine has done some wonderful things and continues to amaze me. Um, but we also can't forget the role of community in healing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're, you're envisioning this, this world where Pained and, and others have, have done this work and society changes the way that it thinks about pain. So, so essentially, essentially it comes back to health care. So we're caring for each other and creating the conditions for health. And by which doing, you're allowing your body systems to do what it needs to do to recover anyway. Yes. So now a lot of the time I write healthcare, I put the health in brackets. So it's kind of care, but maybe health, you know, because healthcare, you think of it as the system. Um, but yeah, I think, um, careful what to say, but there are, there's certain, there's certain information out there. If we, if we, if, if we, what we know about beliefs and expectations and how they play a role in, in, in people's living with chronic pain, and their ability to reduce or resolve that chronic pain. Um, that there are still, they're being like kind of plied with incorrect beliefs at the moment about what might be possible for their pain, depending on what you know, kind of pain condition they have. You know, that's got to be a starting point, right? Where we can start to change those belief systems just with, with the right information. Um, it's, uh, you know, so I do, I do see a world in 20 years time when the numbers of people living with high impact pain are significantly reduced because as a society, we understand pain better. Um, I, I, I do think some of it can be that simple because, um, you know, the, the misunderstanding and mistreatment of pain is traumatic and it's making pain worse for those people. And if you can change that understanding of it, then, hopefully you can start to strip away some of that trauma yeah yeah and that's your and that's your vision so yeah. so look where where can people follow you and find out um, what's going down well our so our the website is pained.com p-a-p-a-i-n-d dot uh, com there's not a huge amount to see there at the moment because kind of as, as the 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 tech world say we're, we're in stealth mode, whatever that might mean, but no, or, or, or I've just been lazy. There's not a huge amount to see on the website. Um, the, the Instagram is uh, pained official, um, but we're hopeful in the next few months that there'll be significant developments in the work we're doing um, as we try and, and, and work with some of the biggest stakeholders in this problem. Um, so yeah, and, and obviously I'll, I'll, I'll update you on our progress. And, you know, as I said at the beginning, I. When I first started work on this, I, um, you know, people like you that I just would have been and still am just like kind of in awe of. And so I, I do hope that we can work together more in 2023 and beyond. <laughs> and I do say beyond because, you know, if I had to guess on how long this would take to really do some great work for, for us only is uh, I'm thinking of kind of at least five years um, to really make us prop, you know, to really change the system that's kind of the time frame that I'm thinking of. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Well, look, Charles, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your your experiences and your thoughts and, and ideas. It's uh, It's been brilliant. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Richmond, and, and thank you for all the work you do. And and I just, yeah, acting like a sponge around you is, is challenging, but also how I uh, would kind of intend to be. 
for all of our interactions. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Richmond. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.